So tonight we're going to look at stories of two parents found in the Gospel of Mark. This can be found on page 819 in your pew Bibles. Page 819, the black books around you. Page 819, we'll first read Mark 7, verses 24 to 30, and then we'll flip the page to Mark 9. So listen to these two stories of parents. From there, Jesus set out and went away to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know he was there, yet he could not escape notice. But a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately heard about him And she came and bowed down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of Syrophoenician origin. She begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Jesus said to her, let the children be fed first. For it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he said to her, for saying that, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. So she went home, found the child lying on the bed, and the demon gone. And now, Mark 9, just flip a page. Mark 9, verse 14. When Jesus, along with Peter, James, and John, came back to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and some scribes arguing with them. When the whole crowd saw Jesus, they were immediately overcome with awe, and they ran forward to greet him. He asked them, what are you arguing about with them? Someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son. He has a spirit that makes him unable to speak, and whenever it seizes him, it dashes him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid, and I asked your disciples to cast it out, but they could not do so. Jesus answered them, You faithless generation, how much longer must I be among you? How much longer must I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked the father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. It's often cast him into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you are able to do anything, have pity on us and help us. Jesus said to him, If you are able, all things can be done for the one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, I believe, help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You spirit that keeps this boy from speaking and hearing, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. After crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he was able to stand. When he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? He said to them, this kind can come out only through prayer. This is the word of the Lord. Two parents in deep need, two parents advocating for their children. But this isn't something that just happens long ago. This week we interviewed three sets of parents on this campus. 
Matt Postma, who is our associate chaplain for Residence Life, and his wife, Jana, who have a baby girl, Eden. Nigel and Kaisha Likely. Nigel works in admissions, and Kaisha works in intercultural student development. And then Jim and Christy Potter. Jim works as the assistant director of campus safety, and Christy runs the January series. And so uh, we filmed their answers to these questions. What are your deep hopes for your children? What are your fears for your children? What do you really want your children to know? And so watch this video of parents. Um, I think something that's very important for Calvin students to know about their parents is, is that they're there for them, you know, and they want them to succeed. Um, the stuff that they're facing are things that we face, whether it's insecurity about things or uncertainties about what's next or where to go or what to do, um, that we face those same or similar uncertainties. My name is Matt, and this is my wife, Jana. This is Eden. <laughs> so we have four. Um, we have a uh, nine-year-old as of today, Dimitri. We have a three-year-old, Jamia, a two-year-old, Iria, and a four-month-old, uh, Justin. So we're Jim and Christy Potter. And then um, we have three sons, Aaron and our students here, and then Lucas, our youngest, will be a student here next year. My hope for my children that they'll be able to uh, grow and develop into their own personal relationships with Jesus Christ. Uh, we hope that they will be able to go to college to prepare for whatever chosen vocation God has for them, and that they would just be lifelong learners and committed to the work of Christ. Being able to face your challenges well and being able to receive encouragement from the community around her, uh, I think that's a, a big hope that we have for her. My hopes and my prayers are really all the same, but um, I think most importantly, I just um, hope and pray that our sons will always know how much they're loved by God. And that will just be a really, really deep part of who they are. I think another hope is um, healthy um, adventure, so like curiosity and um, wanting to try things and be open to trying things, but not in the dangerous way, <laughs> not in a scary way. I think the fear of losing them, you know, whether that's physically, obviously there's, there's a fear that um, of losing a child, uh, but also um, losing them to their faith, that they, would, that they would stray away from their faith, and that's, that's, there's a fear there. Again, that they're here, and, and knowing that Calvin College is growing their faith is, helps calm those fears. The world seems very chaotic, very dangerous, so just trying to shield them and keep them from you know, temptations and distractions in the world. My fear is that, you know, that they don't get caught up in any of those areas of bondage that so easily can plague kids as they kind of live their life and kind of develop. And to not be able to love her, to not be able to hold on to her, to, to care for her and think about her, uh, that, that scares me a little bit. It's maybe a bit more selfish, but uh, I've, we've grown to love her a lot. And so to not have her would be tough. One of my fears as a parent is just when they hit those roadblocks in life, that the things that we're instilling in them bubble up. 
had, um, we have two models that kind of in our house that I've kind of picked up on this year that um, peace and God's presence and joy for the journey. Just kind of think about life as a journey and um, that every day you find joy in that day, no matter what. It's tough to explain this feeling of, of such deep love and care and for the best. Yeah. Like we, I want the best for her. We want the best for her. It's frightening for them to leave home and go to a new atmosphere and be on their own outside of the hub of their parents, but it's also scary for parents. Um, you know, our family's been pretty cohesive always. There's not been a lot of struggles, and I know that's not the case for um, for other families and other students. Um, but I think, I think all parents want what's best for their kids. Keep your parents involved. Involve them in your college years and in the process of college life, what's going on, maybe what's not going well either. Show your parents some grace too. That's, that's a good thing. Maybe not all parents know how to show their love, but I think all parents just really love their kids. So give them that. Show them some love back. What are we going to do with them? I think what we see in the video and what we see in these two passages from Scripture are that parents deeply desire to be advocates for their kids. To be an advocate is the one to speak for, to speak up for, to speak on behalf of, to run interference for, if necessary. Some of you have seen that in your parents. You've seen that growing up. You can remember the time when your mom stood up for you or your dad stood up for you when they were your advocate, when they said, no, this, this is what my child needs. Your parents are your advocates. They don't always show that in the best way. They can be a little nutty sometimes. And that's because what you need to understand about your parents is that their default emotion when it comes to you all is fear. So when they text you on a Thursday morning, and then it's like Thursday afternoon, and then it's Thursday night, and then it's Friday morning, and then it's Friday afternoon, they're not thinking, you know what, I bet she's being super responsible, and she turned off her phone to finish that 15-page psychology paper. No. They're thinking, she's bleeding in a ditch somewhere, and she doesn't have her phone, and I'll never hear about it. Why doesn't she text me back? Like that, That's where they go. They go right to crazy, <laughs> all right? And I would like to say that they outgrow this. They do not. <laughs> a couple of weeks ago, my husband and I drove uh, back and forth to Washington, D.C. for a wedding, and we left his car at his parents' house in Kalamazoo. And we stopped in to pick up the car, and his dad, who is 76, said to my husband, who is almost 51, you know, the weather when you guys were driving out to Washington, D.C. was really bad. It was like sleeting and raining, and I was really worried about you guys. My husband's almost 51. <laughs> In his previous life, he had a job where he was on the road all the time for sales calls. He has more miles in a car than most people in the world. And yet his dad, watching the weather about where we were going to be, was worried. 
They don't outgrow it. I just want you to own that right now, all right? See, their default emotion is fear, that you will not have, as they all said, the best. They want the best for you. They want you to flourish. And sometimes that wanting you to flourish, to be your advocate and having that fear, that kind of expresses itself in a little bit of crazy every now and then. So just, just, just know that. And know that it's not just your parents. This is like a global issue. All right? This is, this is like if your parents are your advocate, they want the best for you. You see that in our texts. There's this woman. She's a Gentile. She's a Greek. She has no access to a Jewish male rabbi. There's no way she should approach him. But her little baby girl has a demon. And she's heard that this guy can take care of it. You think she's going to let some 12 disciples get in her way? She is not. <laughs> she's going all mama grizzly on this. She gets up to him and she's begging him. And she's begging him. You've got to, you've got to, you've got to help. You've got to do something. You've got to do something. And Jesus sounds a little snarky in this passage, let's be honest. He sounds a little snarky about the whole, you know, throwing the bread to the dogs thing. That doesn't sound like Jesus-y. But what he's saying to her in that moment is, you need to be clear, I'm not some pagan magician. I didn't come over to this area of the country to do tricks. That's not what I'm about. And she, this Gentile Greek woman, says to him, I know. I know that this is not your mission. I know that you have other things that you need to do. But will you still do this? And because she is able to acknowledge who Jesus is and what his mission is, and at the same time advocate for her kid, Jesus says, yeah, go on home. Your little girl's healed. And then you have this dad Jesus says to him, hey, how long has this been going on? And the dad says, from childhood, which means that now the boy is not a child. Maybe he's 13, he's 14, he's 15. Imagine the sleepless nights that this father has had, always with one ear. Is his son moving around? Does he need help? Imagine how he has tried to make his world small so that his son wouldn't go to the well or wouldn't go to the lake and wouldn't be exposed to the fire. Imagine all the things that his dad has tried to set up to protect him. Imagine how many times he is taking him to person after person after person and pleaded with them for help and nothing has happened. And you can sense that in the language, in the text. You can sense his weariness. I brought him to the disciples, but the disciples couldn't cast him out. And you can hear him saying, like, nobody else can either. I'm willing to do whatever it takes. And I've tried to do whatever it takes for 14, 15 years. And I'm just at a loss. So if you can do anything, and Jesus says, if I can't do anything... Anything is possible for the one who believes. And I love this father's authenticity in the moment. He doesn't say, oh, okay, I believe, I believe, I totally believe. 
He says, I believe, help my unbelief. I want to believe. I want to give this another shot. I want to think that my advocacy for my child is finally going to pay off, but boy, am I tired. I believe, help my unbelief. And Jesus sends that demon away. These parents in Mark 7 and Mark 9 are crazy about their kids. They will do anything for their kids, and your parents will too. That's why they get a little crazy. They're like this kind of crazy. They are your advocates, and they bring you to Jesus. This is going to be alphabetical, just so you know. They're your advocates, and they bring you to Jesus. You may not know this, but your parents think about you every day. Every day. Parents in the room, am I right? Yes, every day. And if they're believers, they pray for you every day. Probably multiple times a day. They are thinking of you, they are praying for you, they are bringing you to Jesus. They do this all the time because there's this weird push-pull as a parent. There's this like crazy advocacy, I want the best, don't let anything happen, I'm terrified that something bad's going to happen. Oh, i got to bring him to Jesus, bring him to Jesus, bring him to Jesus. I'm in crazy town, what if she doesn't text me back, it's been 24 hours, why won't she text me back? Bring her to Jesus, bring her to Jesus, bring her to Jesus. He said he got a C minus on his last thing, and he needs a C in order to get her to Bring him to Jesus, bring him to Jesus. Like this, this is like the, the daily, hourly, breath by breath pattern of parenting. And it starts in a really clear and obvious way on the day that you're baptized. If you were baptized as an infant, there were three people that day who made promises. Three parties made promises. God, your parents, and the church. God said to your parents on that day, I got this. I love this kid even more than you do. And your parents were like, okay, we're going to try really hard to remember that. And the church was like, okay, we, we're going to help you remember that. We're going to help you remember that because it doesn't just take a village to raise a child. It takes a village to bring a child to Jesus. Because there are things that other adults in your life have spoken over you and spoken to you that you're able to receive, that if your mom or your dad said it, you'd be like, oh, don't tell me I'm wrong. Calvin College actually exists in large part as a fulfillment of baptismal promises. We exist here as a covenant community to say to your parents, we will help your children come to Jesus. We will bring your children to Jesus. That's what we want to do in the lab, in the music room, on the athletic field, in the chapel, in the dorms, in the apartments. We want to bring your child to Jesus. This is a way where we stand in for your parents and we imagine if I were this child's parents, if I were this student's parents, what would I want said? We were talking with Matt recently about how becoming a father, because Eden is their first and she was born last fall, how becoming a father has affected his ministry. And he got tears in his eyes. And he said, I look at all those students and I think of their parents. And when I have a parent who calls me 
and she's doing, you know, the kind of crazy town thing, calling him about their kid. He says, I just think, if I were calling about my child, how would I want this person to respond to me? How do I love this parent right now in this moment? How do I understand the crazy through the lens of grace? Calvin College is working hard to bring you to Jesus on behalf of your parents, even if your parents aren't believers. Because our job then is hopefully to bring you to Jesus in such a way that is winsome and loving and warm that your parents go, I want to be brought to Jesus. I want what my daughter has. I want what my son has. I want to know Jesus. So understanding your parents has to do with understanding them as advocates, understanding the fear of that advocacy, the hope of that advocacy, understanding that their deep desire is to bring you to Jesus. And then you respond with communication. Text them back. <laughs> communication. Have you ever been riding as a passenger in a car and you're just riding along, you're not really paying attention, and the person who's driving the car all of a sudden, without turning their directional on, without giving you any warning whatsoever, suddenly turns. And you, as the passenger, have like, like your face is like into the, the window, right? You, you know what I'm talking about. It's like the G-force is like, whoa, and you're like, what is happening right now? I was not ready for that turn. If you leave for school in September as an elementary education major, and then it's like crickets, and you show up at Christmas time, and you're like, now I'm a strategic communications major. And your parents go, um, wh what? And what's a strategic communications major? And you're like, oh, they so don't approve of me. They don't believe in me. They don't honor my choices. No, they really want to know, like, what is a strategic communications major? What is that? Because right there in that moment, they're like, poof, their face is like against the glass. Like, what has just happened right now? It's not that they approve or disapprove, they're just trying to get their equilibrium back. Like, which direction are we going in now? So if you say to them after classes begin, like, hey, I am really loving this communications class. It's really interesting to me. And then maybe in October you say to them, you know, I'm taking this education class and I thought I would like it, but I really don't. And I'm supposed to do teacher aiding next and I don't know how I feel about that. And then you go home for Thanksgiving and you say to them, you know what, these internships and communications are really interesting. And then when you go home for Christmas and you say, I've decided to switch from elementary education to strategic communication, they go, oh, sure. Of course, that makes sense to us because you've told us all along. That's, that's what it means to communicate, all right? Uh, Nigel's up there. He said, involve them in your life. This doesn't mean they need to know the ins and outs and the drama. They really, you know, spare them some of the drama. But, but give them, you know, turn on the directional before you make the turn. That's what your parents want. They just want to kind of know where you're up to, where you're going, because the more you communicate with them, the better they can be your advocate, and the better they can bring you to Jesus. So say you've been dating somebody for like mm, six months, and you bring the person home for Easter, and your mom gets the guest room ready, and she buys the gluten-free bread, and she does all the things, 
and you know she, you're there with your girlfriend for the whole weekend and and you know it goes well and then a few weeks later you just text your mom and dad and say I just want to let you know that Rachel and I broke up and and your mom's like what happened so you go home for May and you're sitting there at the table and it's like the, the morning after your last final and you're like you know hardly keeping your eyes open she's like hey um whatever happened with Rachel and in the moment, you're like, oh, geez, mom, you're so nosy. Gosh, you have to know everything. Come on. <laughs> Hypothetically. But your mom's thinking, look, I brought gluten-free bed for that child. I washed her sheets. I had her in my home. And if she broke your heart, I'm driving to that campus and taking her down. All right? So when she asks, hey, whatever happened with Rachel... She's not trying to be nosy. She's trying to think, is there someone here that I need to... Mm? <laughs> because what's the A for? She is your what? Advocate. Right? She's your advocate. So if in the moment you say something simple like, thanks, Mom, for asking. Okay, that's a big point right there. <laughs> big points. Thanks, Mom, for asking. We understood that we just had different visions for the future. I really want to stay in West Michigan and get a job with this engineering firm where I'm interning. And she really wanted to go and travel the world. And as we looked at it, it just didn't mesh. And I miss her, and it's, it was painful, and, but that's where it is. That's all she needs to know. She doesn't need to know the drama of the last week, of the texting back and forth, and ah, 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 mm -mm. P.S. Go back to the dating uh, sermon on when you break up, break up. Like, go back to that one in case you need a refresher. But if, if, you're, if your parents are given some communication about the turns in your life, it's so much easier for them to be your advocate and also less anxious about what's happening in your life. Because remember, they get right on the bus to crazy town. So do your best to keep your parents off the crazy town bus Keep them strapped into the passenger seat. I'm taking this turn now, Mom. <laughs> All right? Just communicate with your parents. Tell them what's going on. And if you need to, come up with a routine. Come up with some sort of rhythm. So way back in the day when I went to college, when we had like old things like landline phones, where <laughs> we would call our parents every Sunday. And that would be the only communication we had with them. Some of you are like, oh, oh the olden times. But it was, a, it was a rhythm. It was established. It was, we'll call you next Sunday. And if you called them on a day that wasn't a Sunday, they'd be like, what's happening? What's wrong? What do we do? Is there a bill due? Do we need to beat someone up? What's happening right now? There was just, it was a rhythm. So maybe... You have to establish a rhythm with your parents and say, hey, when you text me, just know I'm going to try my best to text you back within 12 hours or six or two or whatever it is. Just establish a rhythm so that they can expect things. All right, so they're your advocates. They bring you to Jesus, your response. You communicate with them. And D, discover things about your parents because they actually have lives. What? Shocking. <laughs> Discover things about your parents. Now, some people are like, I've known these people for 20 years. I don't want to know any more about them. <laughs> but do you know how they met? 
Do you know how they fell in love? Do you know the scripture passage that was read in their wedding and why? Do you know what the weather was like on their wedding day? Do you know why they wanted to adopt and how long it took them to get you? Do you know what your mom's major was in college when she first started and what she actually graduated with? Do you know if any of them are still in touch with their college roommates? Do you know the best sermon that they've ever heard? Do you know their favorite hymn or song? Do you know what they would do on a day that they had all to themselves, 24 hours, what would they do? Do you know? This, by the way, is also why when you communicate with your parents and your parents are like, hey, when are you coming home? And you just like sit on that for 12 hours? They're thinking, look, child, we have plans. Like, we have friends, too. We have movies we want to see. We've got places we got to go. Costco isn't going to shop itself, okay? <laughs> so discover, what do your parents actually do when you're not around? It's not like they just freeze in place waiting for you to return. Oh, hi! <laughs> Everything stayed exactly as it was. Now, interestingly, that's how they think about you, though. And some of you have run into this. You spend some time away, you're growing, you're learning, you're exploring the big wide world, you're staying up until two o'clock as a matter of course, and you go home and your parents are like, it's 10.30, what are you doing? Go to bed. You're like, yeah, I don't do that anymore. <laughs> so discovering about your parents means what is their life like? And as you prepare to head back home, and many of you will go and be back in your houses of origin, your families of origin, ask again. Like, hey, what do you guys like? You know, how can I make this easy for you? Instead of assuming that you coming home is the best thing ever in the history of the world, and that they're just ready. How can I make this easy for you guys? Oh, many, many points. Many, many points. The other thing that I often recommend to students who come into my office and they're trying to figure out how to talk to mom and dad as they're growing and learning and exploring and ready to try new things, is ask questions of your parents. See, when your parents start to ask you questions, you, some of you start to do this, like, uh-huh, yep, nope, nope, yep, mm-hmm, gotta go, oh, gotta text, gotta go. <laughs> Instead, ask your parents questions. That's an interesting question, Mom. Tell me more about that. Dad, you seem very excited about Bernie Sanders. <laughs> I need to know more. Tell me why. Pick your political candidate. They're all excited about somebody or excited for the wrong reasons. So just ask them. You seemed really frustrated by that sermon this morning. Tell me more about that. Dad, last time I was home, you weren't doing so well at work. How are things now? If you actually want an adult relationship with your parents, you actually have to be an adult when you're with your parents. I know. And this is how discovering more about your parents allows you to care for them and understand them and love them even if you don't necessarily agree with everything that they're doing and they may not agree with you. Now all of this has been said, assuming that you're in a somewhat functional family. 
And we're very aware that many of us do not come from functional families. Maybe your mom is an alcoholic. Maybe your dad's been abusive. Maybe you had one parent who cheated on the other parent and blew up the family through adultery. Maybe when you think about going home for the summer, you get a lump in your throat. And maybe your stomach hurts. For all of us who come from those kinds of families, here are just a few things I want you to think about. First of all, be safe. If it's actually dangerous for you to go home for the summer, don't. We've got people around here who can help you find a summer job, can help you find summer housing, can work with you and keep you safe. Even if the abuse was long ago, but just being back in this space is triggering for you and it causes a lot of anxiety, it's okay for you to say, I'm not going home. Even if your mom's been sober for a few years, your deep memories of her when you're a child are not. It's okay to take a step back. Be safe. The second thing is get help. There are wounds from our childhood that if we don't tend well to them, we will bring them into every relationship we have. And this, my friends, this is the one time in your life when you get free therapy, free counseling. Do you know how much you would pay for that out in the real world? Hundreds of dollars, thousands if you go regularly. Get healthy, get help, heal up the wounds. If you have no idea why your birth mother did what she did, get help. If you're trying to figure out how to have a relationship with your dad when he's the one who cheated on your mom and he's supposed to have some sort of relationship with you and you don't know how to do that, get help. If you've been abused and it makes you fear ever being physically intimate with anybody, get help. And the third thing is consider forgiveness. Consider forgiveness. I had a counselor who put it for me this, this way. He said, imagine that there's a path. That's the forgiveness path. And imagine that you don't have to take, you don't have to run down the forgiveness path. You don't even have to take a step toward the forgiveness path, but just turn and look at the forgiveness path and consider the idea that someday you may be able to start walking down the forgiveness path. That's all you need to do right now. And the Holy Spirit will tell you when it's time to take a step and then another step and then another step and then maybe a time out for a while and another step. But just consider forgiveness. Because forgiveness isn't about the other person and what he or she did. Forgiveness is about restoring ourselves and being whole and human. None of us, truthfully, come from completely functional families. Every family is broken. Every parent, step-parent, adoptive parent, birth parent, grandparent will disappoint you. Every one. And so, 
We are grateful for the advocates. We are grateful for people who bring us to Jesus. We will try to communicate. We will try to discover more. But above all, we need to remember that there is an everlasting Father. And I know for some of us who have been abused by fathers, it's really hard to use the father language around God. I have a friend, Cherith, who's a theologian at a seminary in Chicago, and she says, you got to remember, it's not like people looked around at the earth and said, who are the humans who most remind us of God, and let's name God that. She said, God is father first, and our earthly fathers get their name from him. They are pale reflections, just as our mothers are pale reflections of God. But it is God, our everlasting Father, who is our chief advocate. He is the one who speaks over us. And when we forget who God, the everlasting Father, is, what he is really like, we need to remember how Jesus spoke about his Father. Jesus said, let me tell you what my Father's like. You can blow it. You can turn your back on everything that he holds dear. You can take his money and run. You can do all the things he begged you not to do. And when you turn your smelly pig poo butt toward home, he's not going to lock the gate. Let me tell you what my father's like. My father doesn't shut anybody out. My father doesn't tell anybody to clean up first. My father runs toward you. My father runs toward you and then he advocates for you and he says, she needs a robe, put a robe on her. He needs a ring, put a ring on his finger. Sandals, she needs good sandals, put them on her feet and we are gonna have a feast because my child who is lost is as found, who is dead is alive again. And if you're the surly sibling sitting off in the corner pouting because the little lost one always gets all the attention, he's going to advocate for you and say, all that I have is yours. Get in here and enjoy the party because I am not a father who turns his children away. I am a father who advocates for children and this isn't a father who brings us to Jesus. This is a father who brought Jesus to us so that we would never be separated from him again. That by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, our relationship with God the Father is so tight and close and intimate. And in the resurrection of Jesus, we have a foretaste a look at what is yet to come when we will feast in the house of Zion and we will be fully restored and we long for that day. So when our earthly parents disappoint us, let us extend grace to them as our heavenly Father has extended that grace to us. Let us love them as our heavenly Father has loved us. They are doing their best to be our advocates. They are doing their best to bring us to Christ. And just as we long to communicate with them and long to discover more about them, we will do that with our Heavenly Father. We will communicate with Him through prayer. 
We will discover more about him through scripture and teaching and the community. And we will remember over and over again that he is our everlasting father. He's the one who welcomes us home. Tonight, we're inviting you to write a letter. You can write it to a mom, a dad, a stepmom, a stepdad, a grandparent. You could write it to God. It can be a thank you, it can be an apology, it can be, hey, I'm gonna be home on this day. But prayerfully think about what God wants you to say, either to him or to someone who's like a parent in your life. And so I'm gonna pray and then uh, we're gonna distribute uh, envelopes and paper and pens. The envelopes are white, the paper is um, off-white or gold. Address the envelope to the person that you want to receive it. It could be you if it's a prayer and you want that mailed back to you, that's perfectly fine. It could be anywhere else. If you just write it, God will just take care of it and put it in a safe place. But take time today to communicate with your parents, to discover something about them, to thank them for being your advocates, to thank them for bringing you to Christ.